hello! Welcome back to another episode of Son of a Ginger. I am your host, Patrick Baylor, and we are joined by... I am your other host, Mason Moreau, known as Mason Moreau. And today we will be reviewing Season 1 of Netflix's Ozark. came out in July of this year for a nice summer show, and some good stuff came from it. Yeah. Some very some very Netflixy things. Yeah, you know Netflix like it's no it's no new concept that Netflix has been on a roll by just funding show after show, pilot after pilot and figuring out it's it's a spaghetti at the wall approach and it's respectable. They make fun of it that approach in uh one of the most recent South Park episodes where I think the boys try to uh get get a show going. But hey, we're not here to talk about South Park. We're here to talk about Ozark. And like we said, it came out in July. Uh, Ten episodes. And it stars Jason Bateman of Arrested Development fame. As well as everyone's favorite movie mom, Laura Linney. I feel like she's just played a mom for a long time. And she plays a great one in this series, doesn't she? Yes, she does. You, you know, you start out really not liking her character. You know, she's not very redeemable, but she keeps being put in situations where she has to make very tough decisions, and uh, her willpower really comes through. And I, most everyone I've talked to about it has said they started out hating uh, Laura Linney's character and grew, grew to eventually start liking her again. And good for her. Um, but let's, let's backtrack a little bit. We're talking a lot about her character, but we don't even know what the hell this show is about. Well, I guess we do. And tell us what it's about, Mason. All right, I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and read this one sentence synopsis here. It's a Chicago, Chicago based financial advisor secretly relocates his family to the Missouri Ozarks when his dealings with the drug cartel go awry. Hmm. Very, very meaty, very crime drama. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, Jason Bateman, he plays this this uh, this guy that, uh, I guess, gets a little bit, gets tied up with the cartel and has to make some money back for them, correct? Yeah, that's, that's right. So he, he plays a character who's been, he's a financial advisor and he's been... Uh, He's been in business with his like best friend for a decade or something, something around a decade, maybe even more. Finds out his best friend's been laundering money for a drug cartel, and within the first twenty minutes of this series, you watch you watch all these people get executed, except for Jason Bateman. And this is where we learn that he's talented at smooth talking, at you know weaseling his way out of situations. And in my opinion, this is a perfect character for Jason Bateman to play when he wants to make this step into more dramatic territory because he's always played this sort of uh, silver-tongued, smart person. He's he's always a smooth operator. Yeah, yeah total, smooth total. operator. And yeah, but then so it goes from, hey, he has this problem in Chicago, and then the rest of the series takes place in Lake Ozarks and... uh I would say the Bank of the Ozarks. I think the is what Bank it's of the called. Ozarks. Yeah. yeah. Wait, no, that's that's just a bank, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's the Missouri Ozarks. I like Bank of America. Are Ozarks not... mountains or lakes or? It's a lake. It's a lake. 
Ozarks is a lake? Yeah, Lake Ozark in Missouri, bruh. Okay. Oh, you goof. Um, but they don't even film it there. They film it in Lake Alatoona, not too far from and us. Lake in, yeah, in our backyard. Georgia. And then, of course, they get the aerial stuff at Lake Ozark. But to get back on track, uh, but, you know, after this problem happens, he tries to solve it by trying to make hella money in Lake Ozark where it is mostly operated in cash. And I would say most of the series, of course, it, well, at least most of the season, it is seen him bop around from uh, business to business just trying to launder money. Yeah, so he gets he basically talks himself out of getting executed by a, by a drug kingpin by telling him that he'll be able to launder his money for him. So he packs up his packs up everything with his family, and they move out to the Ozarks to start laundering money for the drug cartel. So, yes, Pat, yes, yes. what did you think of the season overall? Uh, my opinion is that it was a solid television program. However, I have seen this TV show before. I have seen a non-redeemable male well non-redeemable the a non-perfect male character get into some kind of crime and he has to solve his way out of it it's like it, it it's still I enjoyed it but you know Netflix Netflix in particular but a few other of these cable type of places are trying tr- have made or are trying to still make many many of these shows Wait, what's the what's the show where a smart suburban man turns to a life of crime? What what are you talking man, about? I don't know man, what you're I, talking I, about. I don't know. Uh the the Sopranos, the Breaking Bads, the uh does Mad Men do that? I don't know. Um sort of. Yeah. So you know, I, and those are those are three great shows that do stuff like that, but you know, I've seen it before. And I appreciate Netflix is making their own way to do it, but I don't know. It's a it's yeah, a you know, thing. like there. I think it it borrows elements from The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. I think, and it doesn't. I think maybe one of the biggest downfalls of the show is that it doesn't wear those inspirations on its sleeve. I don't know. I Do think you, it's a, it's a good blend of everything though. Like because you know you have the families like really involved, like kind of like in The Sopranos. At least we see the family life. Um, we see the the marriage kind of fall apart while or like at least go through the testy waters as the husband does his crime dealings and the wife just has to the tall blonde wife has to do her thing and right go through it um yeah i mean like i think the key difference between this and breaking bad for me uh is that his family is in on it and that that created something new for me because it wasn't uh, like The Sopranos where the kids sort of know that their dad's a mob boss but never really say it out loud. I would say uh, that, was a, that was a stark difference, yeah. And that yeah. was like, what, episode two or three where the mom was like, hey, hey, kids, your dad's working for the cartel, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, move your, yeah. move your bags. Let's keep, let's keep moving. Right. And that, that sort of... St- the storyline with the kids was pretty interesting in seeing how they write the characters in the, in which ways they're going to like lash out because they now know that their family are uh, a group of felons 
Yes. And it clearly affects these children. And we see how the dealings and crazy schemes thought up by Jason Bateman kind of affects everyone else in the city that isn't his family. We we meet a cavalcade of characters. Like, this ends up being a pretty big ensemble, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And uh, so that's... That's also a really cool part of the the setting of the of the show is that they're in that that vacation town that uh, anyone who grew up in a suburban household sort of knows as the place where everyone goes when they're on vacation. But when everyone leaves, there the 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 ne'er do wells stay behind. You know, like the the townies are the ones you don't want to be messing with, and those are the ones that we're messing with in this show every episode right oh yeah so it's a, you know it's an interesting what if scenario when you sit back and or when i sit back and think about it what the what a vacation spot is like when it's not vacation time yeah like yeah. what's going on there what what cd characters are lurking because you always hear rumors but i know like growing up when we would go to hilton head island you'd meet someone who lives there and they'd be a raisin be a middle-aged man out on the beach at 2 p.m. on a on a Monday, and you're like, "Yo, shouldn't you be at work?" Yeah, and nope. and yeah, not to knock the the residents of these vacation towns, but a good bit of them just seem a little skeezy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I would say we definitely see some of these skeezy characters. Uh, we see the Langmores, which are literally just a bad family, but. Jason Bateman doesn't care who's good or bad. He just cares who will make money for him. And these these guys are someone that helps him, at least not family. But Miss Ruth Langmore, played by Julia Garner, who's, like, no older than us, which is always weird to see when kids our age are doing stuff. Yeah, we're at that age now where, like, actors are doing real roles that are our age, and we're sitting here talking about it. Because for us, it used to just be like Dakota Fanning, and that was it. <laughs> Josh Hutcherson, like kids our age that were like... Haley Joel Osment. He's a few years older than us, but... Yeah, just so, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, but yeah, so he he deals with with Miss Langmore, who uh, helps him run one of his uh, many businesses. But here's where I would say... So like we're doing this overview, but here's where I would say one of my other like specific problems with the show is I just didn't get why Ruth turns on him or like is thought to turn on him for some reason because you know in the beginning of the the series there are a little bit of rivals because uh because Ruth is you know a bit of a troublemaker in the city she always has been but then they get along and they become business partners but then just halfway through she has the desire to kill kill Jason Bateman's character wasn't that was, because she found out that he's sitting on $8 million cash and she wants that for herself? Yeah, but then how would she get the $8 million? That's like That's the thing for me. Like, it just well, she's going to learn She's gonna learn from him how to launder money and then kill him. And, like, that was it? So I just thought yeah. it came out of nowhere because they were getting along. And then she was like, oh, I can make money. I'll kill I him. Think, I think her getting along with him for a while was a farce, but then towards the end of it, uh, she she was being more genuine, and they actually got along. Yeah, okay, and they actually start getting along. Okay, yeah. I I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Okay, well well I believe it a little bit, 
Yeah. Um, hey, so I have a quick question. If if you had to pick one one color that would sort of describe the imagery in this show, what 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 do you think that would be? Well, what like dark blue? Like, yep. They they I th- they purposely everything's fucking blue, man. Everything is blue. Just yeah, it like it looks like it's like six thirty in the morning, like right before the sunrise. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, 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 they've they've done something with the color grading on the show where. It always looks like it's six thirty in the morning, and I would say as the s- season went on, it got darker. And for like, do you think that was on purpose, or that was? Just... Oh, I, I think so. Well, also maybe uh, practically because it went from like summer to winter. So yeah, that's how you know i i i find my I found myself wanting a little more variety in in the visual department. Yeah, cuz I would because, say like, we were we were in there for a long time. Right? Yeah. And it was it was just like it was exhausting. <clears throat> it was just like more blue, more blue, more blue, more gray, a little bit of green, some red when there's blood. Yeah. And I guess maybe there's sort of an accent there where like if everything's blue and you finally see blood, it's a little bit more in your subconscious, you're just sort of more attuned to reacting when there's blood spilled on the screen if you're used to seeing blues yeah so and then going off of that my next criticism was that a lot of this season felt like the same thing you know i thought i thought like two episodes could have been combined another thing could happen i understand some were for straight up character development because uh there are like i said a lot of a lot of characters to develop because it is the first season of this series, but like a couple episodes are just, okay, Jason Bateman tries to go to this business. Oh, no, he's at another business. I don't know. Yeah. I think, the yeah, there they could have, there were a lot of moments where they could have, they could have gotten the same thing out of the way with like a montage. Sure. And made things a little bit shorter. Uh, I think my, my biggest complaint with the the story arcs of this show would probably be Jonah Bird's story uh the young younger son Jason Bateman's younger son oh yeah L- I'll let you uh talk about what you're saying and then let me go on another rant about that that's another yeah. this this episode guys is just me ranting and <laughs> uh but yeah so they hired this actor. I'm about to take a complete dump on him, so I don't even know if I'm going to say his name. Uh, they hired this actor. He plays young Daredevil in the Netflix Daredevil show, and I assume that that's how he got the connection to be in this one also. Uh, I hated him in Daredevil. I, he's he's like a, he's got one face. He's like Zoolander. He's only got one look. Uh, and he's got one look in this. And one monotone sort of way to deliver his lines. And it's it seems so stale to me. And I feel like, especially, I mean, it's two different productions. But, you know, Netflix, is, Netflix. Netflix yeah. has proven that they can, that they can have good uh, young actors on their on their shows. We've proven it with Stranger Things. And I, I felt like there was just no excuse to have it. Like, no one, no one stepped back and said, 
This kid's not good. I feel that. So, mine isn't even necessarily on the acting of the kid because I thought the acting was okay. Like, or, you know, like, I didn't really even notice it, uh, that it was good or bad because I had more so problems with his character and his arc. So, uh, Jonah Bird, played by Skylar Gertner. I don't know how to say his name. I don't know. They, like, just kind of push on this... He's this crazy school, like, or he might be this crazy school shooter type because he's lonely and moved. I don't know. I thought that was just like a little random, and like he's also unf- dissecting animals. But but see, that's so, like that's also like I didn't like that either. It, where like where does that come from? Like that he just has like this, like what he's in the woods for like a few months now, and he has this wild boy tendency. Like I know, like maybe ten years old or however old he is, like makes you want to go out and be a little bit of an adventurer, but him wanting to shoot and gut animals, I thought it was just, it was random and just, it was a jump. It had nothing to do with anything. If And I think they just wrote it because in the later episodes, he ends up pulling a gun on one of the uh, cartel hitmen that come uh, show up. And I wonder if like they just established that so he could maybe pull a gun out on this cartel guy. Because when that scene did happen, I was like, Oh shit! He's got a gun. Ah, and I think that works in the bingey world that is Netflix. Yeah. And I know we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it's, it's sort of like a Carl, Carl from Walking Dead type deal. Yeah, it's like okay, hey, we're gonna just write you in as being a this like little little adventure wild boy kid midway through for no reason. Yeah, characters in this show, they t- sometimes they just do things or things happen in the show that don't make a whole bunch of sense and they're put in there for shock factor or for uh to make us say "Ooh, no where's the show going now and yeah uh, whoa uh yeah and it like game of thrones does it so well and maybe every, i'm spoiled because i love that show so much in that you know like joffrey we've from the first episode of the show we found out that he's a little brat and then he orders the main character to be killed, and that's completely understandable because we know this kid's insane. But when we when we think about Ozark, we don't know this kid's insane. We have no like preconceived notion that he is a. Uh, no, it's just he's little suburban boy, yeah, and that's it. He's he's little curious kid. And then they 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 do it again with the preacher character, where you know he finds out that people are de- dealing drugs at his service. And then he gets sad, and then yes. his wife gets mad at him, and then he and goes this is out. Played by Michael Mosley, right? Yeah. Michael uh, Mosley, yeah. who plays the preacher character. Just to backtrack on mm-hmm. who we're talking about, but no, yeah, like it just yeah. His wife, he get he isn't he and his wife get in an argument, and then next thing you know, he's out in the lake submerging his his newborn baby in underwater and he's got this horribly evil look on his face and you're like like you're you've come to know this character as like a nice person someone who has a a good moral compass but then you see him do this and it's not it doesn't seem like it's coming from anywhere you know it just seems like like it's so random and like that's and that's the thing is this comes from the head's of the writers that make the show, but it doesn't, and you know, they're, they're writing, they want, they want to get to this 
point, you know, so they can write their stuff for the next season. But they don't write it necessarily into the character of Mason Young or the character of Jonah Bird and or Ruth Langmore and all these other characters that just seem to kind of, yeah, definitely jump on to their next thing for, it seems like, no reason or, like, the most minuscule reason that, like, where you're just like, oh, okay, I guess that's why they're doing this now. All right. Oh, okay. Let me keep watching. Yeah, definitely. So, that yeah, that... That'd be the biggest gripe I have with this show. Uh, overall, I liked it, though. I mean, like, in the absence of Breaking Bad, I was happy to have something that was uh, similar and trying new things as well. Uh, I mean, we haven't even touched on the really crazy uh, FBI agent story. Well, hey, let's talk about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to talk about it too much because uh, we, need to, we need to keep the ball rolling. But I, okay, like, I just wanted to say, or like, I want to say this, like, that one had a lot of funky twists, and uh, it was, that was an original B-plot within the story. You're talking about the... The gay FBI agent that yes, seduces... Uh, agent Roy Petty. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's undercover, and he seduces a member of the Langmore family... Who's yeah? He's he's a closeted gay man, and he kind of, and uh, Roy Petty kind of brings it out a little bit, right? And has him. What's the word? Accept himself more and more in this southern culture that doesn't necessarily accept it too much. Uh, yeah, I would say I I enjoyed uh, that B plot because it was very original. Like in all those shows that we mentioned, they didn't have something like that where we were really wondering about a side characters sexuality or learning about another's and then all to move the plot forward to try to get Jason Bateman in handcuffs. Yeah. And it it, yeah. it was important to the overall plot as well. But it added to it in these mostly hour long episodes that are a little too long in my my opinion, but they made they gave it some substance. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, let's let's move on now. We're we've talked We've talked about our gripes. We've talked about the story. Um, but, yeah, let's really talk about the central the central DNA of this show, which is the presence of Jason Bateman. I know you really enjoyed him. I think you showed me Arrested Development, actually, like way back in, in high school. Yeah, I was on Arrested Development before a lot of people. Not trying to toot my own yeah. horn. Because I probably would have rather watched it along with people. But yeah, I, I turned a lot of people to that show, so I wouldn't be uh, surprised. But uh, And then in this episode, or this series, Jason Bateman uh, directs a few episodes. And as you've uh, pointed out to me, that's starting to be his thing that he's really digging recently, correct? Yeah, you know, we see it more and more with uh, with these people sort of branching out and trying directing and acting and writing. and We're now in the age where you can find the ideal medium for what you want to create so much easier. And uh, and Netflix is sort of becoming its own beast in that way. Yeah, and because, they're loyal to the, they're loyal to their people on there. Sorry. Right. Uh, yeah. Continue. And it, like I so I'm going to go a little bit off topic. topic. Uh, I started mm-hmm. watching started watching Big Mouth, that new animated show on Netflix. Love that. We uh, should, we could do a whole episode on that too. No, that shows fucking nuts but uh there's just a part where he breaks the fourth wall and he's like you're binging this aren't you 
Yep. And I was like, yes, Nick Kroll, I am. <laughs> but, you know, like that, that that's important to say because shows are now being made to binge. Easily. Like, and yet Big Mouth I finished in, in a weekend. And, yeah, I no, I totally agree. They want you to watch – well, they know you're going to watch it in a weekend. That's what they're kind of set up for. Totally. Right. Yeah. And, and so I have uh, the Wikipedia article – for binge watching pulled up. Ooh, Wikipedia. I want to read this quote from Kevin Spacey, who, if you didn't know, is the star of Netflix's House of Cards. What? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, But anyway, actor Kevin Spacey used the 2013 McTaggart lecture to implore television executives to give audiences what they want, when they want it. If they want to binge, then we should let them binge. He claimed that high-quality stories will retain audiences' attention for hours on end and may reduce piracy, although millions still download illegal content. Binge-watching complex quality TV, such as The Wire and Breaking Bad, has been likened to reading more than one chapter of a novel in one sitting and is viewed by some as a smart, contemplative way of watching TV. I completely agree with the uh, the chapter reading. Yeah, because yeah. cause I, I barely read. I, I want to try to read, but I barely do. But, yeah, if I'm, if I'm like, uh, on a date and, like, trying to impress a girl, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm watching this. It's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm watching this critically acclaimed television program. How does that work out for you? Uh, well, I'm still single, so I guess not too well. <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, I mean, like, I definitely feel the same way now. Like, TV, TV is now becoming like video books. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to explain it. You know, like, I I read a chapter of my book every night, or I try to, and sometimes I'll read more than one. But it seems to have, you know, it like finishing a good show and finishing a good book have the same sort of feeling when they're when you're done with it. I think, like it said in the article, Breaking Bad and The Wire really did uh, hammer that point home that you can have a long-form narrative that stretches over multiple seasons and you don't have to have a television show where every 30-minute episode is its own contained story with the same characters. Totally. You know what I mean? And and the thing is with uh, Breaking Bad and The Wire, shows like those shows weren't necessarily designed to be like that. They were designed to oh, can't wait to watch next week type of thing, you know? Yeah. Especially with The Wire. I mean, that, that shit was in O two when they didn't even, or it ended in O two. 2 But, you know, it's from 15 years ago to where they didn't even expect that type of thing. So uh, Right, yeah. They didn't know what they were creating. And, yeah. uh, and, and I binge-watched The Wire, you know, a few years ago. Like, like I think uh, freshman year of college, instead of meeting people, I was just in my dorm room watching The Wire. Mm-hmm good times uh i feel like i just use this <laughs> podcast as being like oh pat doesn't get any dates pat didn't talk to kids in college <laughs> but i'm talking with you mason and i love talking That's right. yeah dude I, I enjoy the son of a ginger podcast uh anyway uh and with this show ozark or big mouth or any and we've been really talking netflix especially yeah they know you're probably going to watch two or three instead of just one with dinner. You watch the next one after when, when you finish dinner and you're pouring yourself that glass of wine or that beer after a long day's of work, you know? 
Yeah, and you boot that up. But, you know, the same can be said. So, like, I really do enjoy the Sunday ritual when Game of Thrones is on, though. Oh, I love that, too. I like making myself some dinner, sitting down at the TV with, with, like, a beer or a glass of wine or whatever, and having that be my evening, and then going to bed and starting the week. That has its place, too. But the trend we're sort of seeing is these shows that are lending themselves to being consumed rapidly in su- in immediate succession. Yeah, and they'll like shoot, they'll like shoot different episodes like at the same time because mm-hmm. they know it just goes into the next one. Yeah, the line between a TV narrative and a movie narrative is starting to blur. Yeah, people are now saying that if you want a good, deep, rich, dramatic story, watch a TV show. Yeah, because they, yeah they'll they'll talk those characters and then you'll really want to know what happens to them and they'll and then you'll get to see them next week as opposed to hey let's wrap all this conversation and stuff up because we gotta go to the next scene because this is a two hour movie instead of this is a ten hour series. It's short stories versus novels. That's a great comparison. You know, some short stories are great and they can be the size of a novella. You know. Is it like okay, Old Man in the Sea versus The Stand? You know, The Stand's thicker than the Bible, and Old Man in the Sea is like a little pamphlet. I'm gonna have to believe you on this because I haven't read either. Can't read, Mason. Don't know how to read. Oh, I haven't. I haven't read The Stand because I picked it up and I was like, no way. And then you you just threw out your back trying to pick it up, right? Yeah, it was it was like that hernia. cartoon, that classic cartoon uh, trope where I was just trying to pick it up, but I couldn't. Just yeah, and then I like turned inside out. Made <laughs> hope you listen. Hope you listeners enjoyed those noises. So yes, binge. It's binge season. Uh, yeah, and Netflix yeah. does it well, and they they really paved the way. But so to wrap things up and get back from the landscape of streaming and everything and just go back to this little show, Ozark. Well, what are, what are your final thoughts, Mason? I know I've been ranting a little bit, but what are what's the good and bad that... You know, I had my gripes, but overall I, I enjoyed it. I watched it all the way through. I binged it, and I, I I'm definitely going to watch season two. I think... If I had to put a number on it, I'd probably give it a 7.8 to an 8.0. That's probably fair. around that range. Uh, you know, like it, it had its weak points, but it had its really high points too. You know, the first 15 minutes of that of of the show, you completely grips you, and then you want to watch the rest of it. I think that speaks for the show the most, along with some really beautifully crafted dramatic or moments of like tension between some characters so anyway 7.8 uh good moments bad moments thrilling moments shitty moments i can't wait to see where the show's going overall probably a, a strong first season you know like i don't know how long the show's gonna go on so they could the first season to me in television shows is always where they figure out what works, what doesn't, and then capitalize on it. So if this is a good show, and if they have a good writing staff, then I think they will. Uh, it'll pick up by next season. 
And I look forward to the next season. And I'll just I'll give it a six point eight because things were just long. You know, I'll give it a seven. Uh, and I know we're wrapping things up. I just want to get it out there. Do not like the Snell characters. They are pain in my side. I don't like how the husband uh, talks. He just talks like this. And you, you can barely understand him. I'm going to go get my shotgun, Ruth. Uh, I've been having opioids in my time. <laughs> and, and, but, like, his wife and the Mr. Snell, Mr. and Mrs. Snell, they would be great as one character, but they split off into both of these characters that are just not very interesting and not compelling and pain in the ass because – and then I also just hate him when the season – ends because Marty cuts a deal with the cartel after everything bad happens in the season and then what the wife just like shoots him because the main guy in the cartel just calls her a redneck and then that really boils her blood and I don't know it was frustrating frustrating characters in a show where everyone's trying to rationalize irrational situations there's this one person who comes out and acts completely irrationally. Yeah. And I, I understood every character, like, even, like, what we said earlier, it seemed like it was slapped together. We still at least understood a little bit why characters started acting the way they were. And then with these, the Snells, they just said, oh, someone a hundred years ago flooded our land, and now we're going to be assholes to everyone and sell sell heroin and... and and that's yeah. my final point. <laughs> Great. Perfect. General noise. But thank you guys for listening. I'm Patrick Baylor. Amazing room. And this has been Son of a Ginger. Enjoy. Enjoy.